So we uh, went to Christmas at Katie's house, and it was the first time since, I think, 2007, I was trying to do the math, um, that all of Katie's brothers and sisters and everybody was together for Christmas. I guess that's a... quite a long time when you think about it. Like one was off of college, one was over here, we were over in Ukraine. Uh, so it's kind of hard to get everybody together. And of course, when you haven't been together uh, as a whole huge family uh, in a while, you get to telling stories. Now, most of the stories you know, right? Most of the stories, you just repeat. They do get a little bit better as time goes on. You know, you add a few details that may or may not have occurred. Or maybe you remember some details. Uh, but the stories always get better. Why do we tell these stories? We all know the stories, right? Uh, but every once in a while, there's a story that hasn't been told, or at least not for everybody's benefit. And typically, this is where parents learn what their kids did right? when they were, you did that? So, so it came out uh, that two, on separate occasions, two of um, Katie's uh parents' kids, let's say it's like that, stole their vehicle without proper driving uh, documentation. We won't say who those two are. There's four of them. We won't say who those two are. Like, you did what? Wait, hey. I, I, I haven't heard this story before. Like You hadn't heard that story. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? What happened? And so even years later, you think you know your kids. You, you think you know your family. You, like, but what happened? And uh, so I know that there's going to come a time where we hear things that Benjamin or Julian are like, what? You didn't know he did that? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't know that. It just happens. Even years later, your your relationship develops uh, new facets, doesn't it? It's like, wow, that was interesting. Uh, and, uh, well, as we read, well, we think we know Jesus, we know the stories, we know the Gospels, and we've, we've learned, I mean, how many times have we read, even reading through the Bible, but, I mean, we know the Gospels, we know the stories of Jesus, and there's nothing really, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's, there's nothing you read that you went, yeah, I, I forgot that story. I mean, you might not have known all the details, but you pretty much you knew all the stories, right? And yet, as we go through the Bible and look at the names of Jesus, wow, that opens up a new opportunity to know Christ in a new way. You know, some of the, some of the thoughts that, that we've gone through, there's, you know, there's tons of material, right? There's tons of material on some of the names. Some of the names of Jesus, they're used once or twice. Well, you know, we, we, I mean, it's easy to do a sermon on Jesus as the Savior. I mean, good grief. You can't go through all the verses. There's just there's tons of them. We're going to look at one that has slightly fewer references. And we're talking this, this opening month, uh, we're talking about specifically those titles that refer to Christ as God, Christ as deity. Uh, because that's where we want to begin. It's important to begin talking about Christ's position in this universe. Uh, and learning not just to, to, to know facts about Christ, 
But to make those facts something real and practical in the relationship uh, to me. So we're going to um, read our, our text. Um, and actually, it's not going to fit on here. I've got a part of it that's going to be up here. I'm going to uh, read the whole chapter. Short chapter. Don't, 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 you know, think we're going to be oh, too far over time. I've got that nice clock to pay attention to. So I don't know how many mentions that's going to get, but it's going to get a few. So it's going to be in Revelation chapter 5. Um, now, I have, I have part of it up here for you, but um, we're going to look at the whole chapter. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel claiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loosen the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept. Much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. One of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loosen the seven seals. And I looked and I beheld in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders. And he stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having <clears throat> seven horns and ten eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seal, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. It's a lot of thousands. They sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven or on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and those of them I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And this, you, you see some of these pictures in here that we've already gone through, this, the idea of, 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 of Christ and who is as powerful, as a creator, as a Lamb. We've, we've talked about some of these things in passing. Uh, and, and perhaps as we read through this text, you think we're going to talk about Christ as the Lamb. Not yet. That's later. We're going to talk about Christ as the Lamb a little bit later. Today I want to talk about the final picture of Christ's deity in our series anyway. <clears throat> but before we do that, uh, I want to kind of go through a little bit of Revelation, not in detail. I just want to kind of... It, that's that book that we got to at the end. We're like, eh, it's like Ezekiel. <laughs> like, here we go. I just muscle through it. Um, I just want to give you kind of really a general overview of the book. And, and as we open up in, in chapter, we would have, if we read chapter 4, and, and some of the pictures actually that we sung in Holy, Holy, Holy are taken from, taken from chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, and, and what some of the imagery means, without, without the detail, it is a series of dreams that, that God gives John. That's all these visions or revelations are. Right? Much like normal dreams, they're pretty bizarre. 
right? Seven horns and ten heads and all these weird things. And what's going on here? Right? Except, unlike your dreams, which are the the product of you know acid indigestion or some other, maybe someone sets the thermostat too high and you get weird dreams, right? These are actually intended to be weird. And there's a reason he intends them to be weird. It's because there were messages that were basically codes hidden in them. I don't want to be all, you know, uh, Da Vinci Code stuff, but, but there were people that he didn't want to know the message. Much like we, we read why Jesus spoke in parables. He's like, there's certain people I don't want to know what I'm talking about, so I, I speak in parables. And it's basically a parable. And he gives Revelation... In, in basically messages that Jews would understand, and that's why I use his pictures from the Old Testament, so they would understand it, but there were certain other people that wouldn't understand it. Well, <clears throat> some of the basic structures of the, the, by, by, uh, of the book of Revelation that appear again and again, he opens up and we talk about the crystal sea or the glassy sea, right? What is that? And it's before the throne and there's all these people standing around the the glassy sea and they're casting down their, their thrones and all this. What does all that mean? The crystal sea, here, the crystal sea is this weird picture, right? It's a weird dream. I got a weird dream. Uh, and so, uh, the crystal sea is, is, is a picture of the world. It, it, it's like a, what we call it the theater, right? In, in military uh, terminology, they, they call it the theater. The theater of operation. And this, this crystal sea, this glassy sea is a representation of the world. And, and all these, the, these visions are things that are going to happen on the world. And there's this various series of events, these seals and there's these trumpets. And they all symbolize things that are going to happen that are going to be important things, not just, you know, uh, uh, President Kennedy got assassinated or, or something like that, but there are things that will affect the church. Their visions, he's like, seal these up. And so he talks about this scroll. And, and it was always the scroll. Is that the Bible? No, that's not the Bible. Because he says there's no one worthy to open the Bible. Well, the Bible's been opened, right? We open the Bible every day. It's right, right here. It's open. Um, so, so he's not talking about that. The scroll is not the Bible. The scroll is like this, this written history. Who is, who is worthy to... to who, who will there be to open up and, and, and set these events in motion, in other words? Who can there be in the world to, to, to set these events in motion. And all heaven is looking for, for someone to set the events of history that will affect the church in motion. Who will there be? And that's the picture of Revelation. It's a little simpler than when you read through it. Like, oh, what is this thing? There's no one to open the book. No one can open the book. We all have opinions about what will happen. We all have ideas. We all think we're right. Um, but we're not. Right? There's no way that X will happen. There's no way. And then it's us. What happened? I made my prediction. We are so used to the idea that I'm, I'm smart enough and I, I will, I'm right. And my ideas are almost always wrong. I think I know what God wants. I think I know what God wants. You know, since 1992, and I haven't voted in every election, but I've only voted correctly in one election. I've got a bad track record. I think I know who God wants. I've been right once. That's a... Whatever. <laughs> Take that for what? That's... 
I'm not right. I don't always understand what God wants. In fact, I almost never understand what God wants. That's pretty much the reality of it. And we're so sure and we'll fight and argue and we just know we don't know anything. We have no one was able to open the scroll. Who is there to understand and set the events that God wants in history? Who is there capable and understanding to do that? God says, no one. He searched heaven. Listen, if he searched heaven and found no one, then there's no one down here. The angels are not capable of opening that scroll and understanding that scroll. There's so many things, there's so many references in the Bible, not, not a ton, but there's enough of them that talk about the angels desiring to look into things and desiring to understand things. They get confused by divine things. And if an angel gets confused by divine things, goodness, we don't know anything of what God is wanting to do in history. We have no idea of how God operates. And so they search all of heaven. And they find, finally, they find. In this dream, they finally find the one. Now, obviously, they didn't have to search too far. That's just the dream. It's a weird dream. He's just trying to illustrate the idea that in all of heaven, there is only one to open the scroll. And we are going to look at Christ as the lion. Christ as the lion. As I say, there's not a lot of references. There's only two in the Bible. Man, there's three if you really want to stretch it out there. There is only two references. Well, let's look at the source of this reference. There's a couple of things here. Uh, in Genesis 49, 9 through 11 is where this reference is taken from. It says, Judah is the lion's covenant. And in this, before we get into this, in this passage, um, Jacob is about to die. And so he's blessing his 12 sons. And he, he goes through each one and he gives them an appropriate blessing. It's what they did before they died. They were divine blessings. I mean, when, when, a, when a patriarch spoke these words, they, these things came true. This is a, like a message from God before they... It was basically a prophecy. And so, so he's talking to Judah here. He says, Judah is the lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff or scepter from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. And this is a prophecy of Christ. I want to notice some of the things here in Revelation that kind of are similar uh, to this passage here. Um, I want you to notice um, from Revelation chapter 5 here, we talk, he talks about worthy and to receive power. And yet we notice here in this this thing he talks about the scepter, the authority. Right? Um, and he says, not only that, the scepter will not depart until tribute comes to him. Oh, hey, that's nice. Do um, have an issue up there? What's the deal here? Okay. I'm a seizure. He says, the scepter will not depart until tribute comes to him. He talks about being worthy 
to receive power. Revelation talks about being worthy to receive power. And he goes through that whole long list. Worthy to receive power and glory and honor and all that. So he'll make them a kingdom. Verse 10 of, of, of Genesis. says, to him will be obedience of the people. Obedience of the people, and he will make them a, a kingdom. In verse 9, uh, <clears throat> he talks about being slain. And, and um, there's that picture of binding the, the, the foal to the vine. There's a clear indication, clear picture to the night of, of uh, of the Last Supper. And Christ coming in on a donkey and tying that that whole last week we see a reference. Christ coming in on a on a, a full of a, or a colt of a donkey. And that picture of Christ being slain. The clearest reference here Revelation 5 Verse 9 talks about being ransomed by His blood. And we see here, talking about having His garments washed in wine and His vesture in the blood of grace. It's a, a clear, again, another indication. So, so, Revelation is drawing on this picture, talking about Christ as the lion. And we think of the lamb being slain and all these things. Well, what, a lion. A lion was a symbol of power. Of authority. But who will... Who will rouse him up? Who wants to mess with the lion? Don't want to mess with the lion. I went to a a, a zoo. It was a, a zoo up in uh, Minnesota. They, they just a, not really even a zoo. It's a it's a almost like a, a protected park kind of. And they they just they have a bunch of animals that have been born with defects. Um, they have, some have heart defects or some have. Uh, cleft palate. They have a lot of deer with like cleft palate. It's things that would not survive on their own. So they and, and they kind of use it and let let kids come and and almost like some of them are petting zoo except where the lion. There's a lion. There's a like undersized lion. It was like a pygmy lion. I don't know. Um, and his paws were really huge. They were like oversized. It's just you, you could tell he wasn't quite right. I mean, he was only that tall, and I still wouldn't want to mess with him. I, I, he, he just like looked powerful. It's like I'm, that's the closest I've ever been to one of those. I, it's just, I mean, worse than a horse. I mean, that thing scared. He just looked scary. They look scary. Uh, I, I can't imagine a full size one. I, I just amazing. They are powerful. Who dares? You don't dare mess with them. Right? And so there's this symbol of Christ. All this authority. I want to talk about knowing the lion. We know a lot of facts about him. We, we understand the, the symbolic nature of this and the prophecy. But I want to talk about what it means to know the lion. Well, in Revelation, he talks about him conquering. That's what you think of a lion. Lions conquer. That's what they do. There's an unintentional reference. Uh, why I say an unintentional reference, I'm not talking about the line. I was, I was doing this and I was trying to think of, of something to, to uh, 
symbolize something in it. I, I realized that last week we, we did a little Boston history, and I didn't intend to do this, uh, <laughs> but I, was, I, was, I, was, I thought of a perfect example to, to kind of bring out, and it, unfortunately, it's also Boston. I, I really don't intend to do that, but about 3,000 feet away from this great molasses flood that we talked about <laughs> is another event that occurred. Um, it was called the Battle of Bunker Hill. Some of you might be familiar if you've ever done the Boston tour. You, and you, you know that we in Boston are very good at, uh, uh, at identifying landmarks. So the Battle of, of Bunker Hill was not fought on Bunker Hill. It was actually fought on Breed's Hill, which has nothing to do with anything. But the Battle of Bunker Hill is actually a loss. It, it's, a, it's one of the, the tragic losses of, of the Revolutionary War. Um, and in this attack, they had uh, attempted to to defend Boston, and they 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 picked out a hill to defend. They said, "Oh, we we don't want to do Bunker Hill. Let's go over to Breed's Hill." They were supposed to defend Bunker Hill. Why it's called the Battle of Bunker Hill? They decided, "Let's go to Breed's Hill. We'll defend that." And they got eventually destroyed by the British. But in this in this uh, in this defeat. General Prescott or Colonel Prescott had repeatedly sent and asked for reinforcements. We need reinforcements. They sent a few men. They said, we need, we need muskets and we need gunpowder. That's what we need. We need musket balls and gunpowder. And John Adams and George Washington repeatedly said, no. We don't have it to spare. We do not have it to spare. You have to defend Boston with what you've got. This is where the famous line of, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes come you. You have to defend this with what you've got. Who wants to do that? This is basically, you're going to lose, and we know you're going to lose eventually, but do the best you've got. Who wants to be assigned an impossible task? You know, angels are assigned difficult tasks all the time. Very difficult tasks. And God says, okay, we've got a, a, a plan. Here's this plan. And he gives Jesus this task. And his task is defeat death. Who defeats death? That doesn't happen. That is the impossible task. Here is the impossible task. Jesus, you do it. Okay, I'll do it. Who wants to... Who wants to give somebody an impossible task? And who wants to be given an impossible job? You ever been given an impossible job? I can't do this. I'll do it anyway. So Jesus takes the impossible job. And he does it. Defeat death. Okay. And he defeats death. He is the lion. He is the conqueror. He is the only one in heaven that could possibly do this job. Because he's the lion. Because he is the conqueror. Now, last week we focused on the ability of Christ. Right. He's the Almighty. Well, certainly the Almighty can defeat death. He made life. So so it's it's nothing for him to defeat it. Defeat death. The events of history. We talked about that scroll. Here's the scroll. Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who, who can be found to open the scroll? Well, the events of history can only be manipulated by someone who has the ability 
to conquer death. That's why Christ is the one chosen to open the scroll in this vision. The events of history are subject to the one who has all power. Who is the lion? But I want to take you to the question. The question of Revelation chapter 5 is not who is capable. That's not the question of Revelation 5. Revelation 5 says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? And when we think of a lion and we think of God and the power and everything, that is not the picture that God is intending primarily to send. It's not Christ's ability. We talked about that with Christ being the Almighty. The picture of the lion is who is worthy. He is the noble. The lion is the noble. The king of the beast, right? God, the king of the beast. He is noble. Christ is not just the lion because he's capable. Christ is the lion because he is worthy. He is deserving. There was no one in heaven deserving to take that scroll and open these series of events to, to do anything that affects the church. That was Christ that was worthy. It was not a question of who was capable. His willingness to sacrifice for us is what gives him that capability. I want you to notice in that picture, he goes up and takes the scroll from the Father. You're going to say something that's going, oh, what? what are you saying? <laughs> I am not saying that the Father is not worthy in the sense that the Father was morally not capable. But the Father doesn't open the scroll. You notice that. Now, uh, there's something there. Christ is worthy. Now, the Father is worthy. He's every bit as moral. He's every bit as equal. They're, they're equal. But what does... In Philippians chapter 2, uh, he says, when, when Christ rose, he says, Therefore... God has given him a name which is above all names. There is something about the willingness to die that gave Christ a special position to interact with humanity and to interact with the church. Someone had to do it. Christ said, I will do it. And that gives Christ a special position, Christ's death, makes him worthy. So, I want to talk about hearing the lion. There's another reference which isn't specifically about Christ so much. Uh, it's kind of general. It's found in Joel chapter 3, verse 16. It says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquakes. But the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. When we first hear when we first read that first phrase, the Lord roars from Zion, that's like that's like a scary thing, right? There's the lion and it's kind of scary. But but that's not the picture of this of this verse. The picture is not of 
Christ as a scary guy. I mean, it's scary if you're on the wrong side of it, you know. I like the lion from inside. He's inside the cage and I'm out here. That's why I like lions, right? Don't want to be inside the cage with them. But this is not intended to have a negative imagery. If we go back to that passage in Genesis, it talks about him crouching like a lioness. What does that mean? What's the lioness famous for? Don't get between her and her young. That is, I mean, you don't want, really want to mess with any animal when they're defending their young. But a lion? She's worse than daddy lion. Right? That's the picture of this lion that he is intending to drive home. Listen, in the church, the lion roars. And, and Christ is not just there to be this fearful lion. But he is there to defend his own. That's the picture of the lion. And that's why he interacts with humanity throughout time, and especially his church. He is worthy to, unopen all these, uh, to open all these scrolls and, and set forth these, is Christ's interaction with humanity beginning from His, well, beginning before, but specifically, as we know Christ, it is Christ's death and resurrection that gives Him that intimate connection to us. More intimate than even the Father. Not that we don't have a relationship with the Father. What does Christ say? Through the Son. We have a relationship with the Father through the Son. It is a special connection. Christ is the Lion. So the question is, let me just get, get to the end here. Well, I hand him my scroll. I have a series of events. I'm not capable of knowing what my events hold. I think I do. I make my plans and I have all my goals and I have them all in my Excel spreadsheet and this is what we're going to do. This is my five-year plan. This is my ten-year plan. God says, oh, sure. Sure. I'm really not capable of opening that up. I'm not capable of, of making that come. I'll come true. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Maybe some of them check off. Hey, I got one right since 1992. I had one of my goals right. Good for you. There's one person, there's one person that is capable of taking my life and making it productive. He's the lion. He's the one who conquers and he is the one who is worthy. He's the only one that is deserving of being given my life. We give our lives to so many things. We give our lives to people. We give our lives to jobs. We give our lives to entertainment. We give our lives to this, 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 and this. And I say, here, this. Take my life. Take my scroll. Here, have it. This is what I trust to fulfill my life. All heaven was searched and there was only one that was found deserving of the scroll. There is only one that is deserving of your life. Only one. 
give Christ your scroll. This is my life. This is all my plans. I know that the majority of them are not going to happen. There's only one that is worthy of saying, here, I've got a scroll. Let me take that. I'm going to, I'm going to edit this out. I'll, I'll make this one come true. There's only one person that's ever been found worthy of your scroll. So we're going to close. Now offer the invitation to give Christ the scroll of your life.